Just because the years of walking with God have brought you closer to heaven does not mean that you stop believing him where you start coasting. God does not allow us ever to stop trusting him, to walk with him. And until you stand in his presence where you have been made into his image, you are to walk by faith. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're nearing the end of our biographical study of the prophet Elijah, and today we're going to see Elijah taken up into glory by a chariot of fire. This truly is one of the most amazing accounts ever in the Bible, and it's the culmination of a life well lived by the mighty man of God. We're in 2 Kings chapter 2, and we have seen Elijah preparing to end his ministry and turn over the reins to his protege, Elisha. We have seen on Elijah's last day on earth that these two prophets travel roughly 28 miles in one day, meeting with prophets in Bethel and Jericho, and ultimately heading to the Jordan River. Let's pick up as Dr. Brogy explains the significance of these three locations. Jordan was the place when after Moses dies that Joshua takes the leadership. He conquers Jericho. They cross the Jordan River. It's a magnificent thing to watch. And so Elijah brought Elijah to this place because it was a place of miraculous deliverance. It was a place where God brought them, in essence, into a new land. It was a place of transition. It's the place where he is going to be captured up into glory. And by the way, this is the same place because the New Testament identifies it. The Jordan River is obviously a long river, but this is the place where John the Baptist baptized Jesus. This is the same place in this next picture that we saw earlier. Uh, the Bible records that Jesus was baptized across from Jericho near Bethany. Good of God to send a dove that day. Pretty cool. In either case, Jesus was baptized here. What I'm wanting you to see is that these are no random places. God Almighty is leading his prophet to these three different seminaries where the sons of the prophets are, and each of these three places have great significance in Israel's history. And in some respects, they become a picture of the Christian life. First, you have to have a Bethel. Have you been born again? Unless you're born again, you will never see the inside of heaven. And if you don't know you're born again, it typically means you're not. I mean, you can't know it and not, you can't have it and not know it. Trust me. You should come to meet the pastor on Thursday night if you're live streaming. You should live stream 7 p.m. this Thursday. But we also need to have a Jericho kinds of experiences where we walk by faith. Every single day, believing God. That means you're feeding on his word. Why? Because we wage war not against flesh and blood. There are spiritual battles that we face in the Christian life. And John says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. But someday, maybe sooner than we realize, we'll have a Jordan River kind of experience. And we'll cross over to the next side, to that place that God has prepared for us. We will come to the end of our journey. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad place to be. That's a doorway into the very presence and the blessings of God himself. So God takes us through justification, 
through sanctification and someday as we cross over our Jordan into glorification. So I want you to see that when Elijah takes Elisha to Bethel, to Jericho, to the Jordan, these were great places in Israel's history, and each place had a message in and of itself. Now, this map helps us to see where they, they did this all in one day, remember. They were in Gilgal, as you can see here on the map, and they go from there to Bethel. That's eight miles. Then they go from Bethel to Jericho. That's another 15 miles. And then they go from Jericho to the Jordan River. That's another five miles. They went 28 miles that day. Now, these guys were in shape. These weren't wimpy men. Now, I know the speed walkers in the Olympics can walk a 40-mile race at eight miles an hour. But this is no lightweight territory they're going through. It's hot. It's rocky. And they're in good shape. This man took care of himself. It's one thing if you lose your health because we live in a fallen world. It's quite another thing to throw it away. And so, you know, it's at the end of the day. They stopped at three schools. They had discussions that aren't recorded, aren't written all about. And so, you know, the setting had to be beautiful. You know, when you light the fireworks, you don't do it in the daytime. You wait until it gets dark and dusk is coming and there's going to be a magnificent scene as he sees these chariots of fire. By the way, if this were your last day on earth and you knew it, how would you spend it? I'm convinced you wouldn't work overtime at the office saying, I've got one last assignment I need to do for my boss. I doubt you'd paint the living room or the dining room or figure out where you're going to put your next investment in the stock market. Elijah spent his last day in the presence of Elisha, not moaning and groaning. And they visited two, three schools, three yeshivas, three schools of prophets. And he probably said, farewell, my dear friends. You know I'm leaving today. Walk by faith. Believe God. No matter how dark it gets, you trust God. I love this guy. He hasn't retired from the ministry. He's not sitting on a bench somewhere. He is serving until the last day God takes him. Now here in 2 Kings 2, look again in verse 7. Now 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Notice what he does in front of all the prophets watching. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Elijah walks in the steps of Moses and Joshua, men whom God used to miraculously part waters. Moses, of course, the Red Sea. Joshua, the Jordan River. And now a second time the Jordan River is, is split. Verse 9. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. It's obvious. Time is fleeting. It's the end of the day before Elijah is to depart. And he knows that Elisha just has a bulldog tenacity. He's not going anywhere. So he asked his servant if there is one final gesture that he could honor. And Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, those who carelessly read this text of Scripture think that this is some selfishly ambitious request that he makes, and I, it's sadly preached that way on occasion. But let me say parenthetically, if you study the lives of these prophets, 
you know that's not true. Now, it is true. Some think, well, the double portion he asked for was twice the power. It is true, and I was going to do it in the sermon, but it would mean another 20 minutes, and I was going to enumerate the 14 miracles that Elijah did. And yes, Elisha did 28 miraculous kinds of things, but that's not what he's asking for. This is a humble man. This is not some egotistical request. Do you remember after Elijah was taken up into heaven in the whirlwind? We studied it a few weeks back. Jehoshaphat is the king of Israel, and he asked a question. It's recorded in the next chapter, 2 Kings 3.11. Let me read it to you. Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, now listen carefully to his answer because the description of Elisha the prophet is very telling of the kind of person he is. He said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. That's significant, because pouring water on the hands of Elijah was the role of a humble servant. Remember, they kept their hands ceremonial clean, as the Orthodox do today. Before every meal, they washed their hands in a certain way. And he went ahead and got the water each time and poured the hands on Elijah. It was the posture And it was the attitude of a servant. And I want to tell you, my friend, unless you have a servant's heart, you will never do anything lasting and holy and eternal for the Lord. Now, please know you will never convince me, as some of the commentaries unfold, that this was some self-centered request. It is not. In response to Elijah's question, we're told, and Elisha said, please... Let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. You might want to put it in the margin, Deuteronomy 21 and verse 17. He asked for a double portion, and it's translating the words, and it is two words that are recorded in the law of Moses, where a father was to give his firstborn a double portion. In other words, the firstborn son at this time in Israel's history would carry on the family practice, the family property, the family name, and the double portion had nothing to do with favoritism or greed, but it had everything to do with carrying on the name and preserving the land. And here we are some 3,000 years later, and not by accident, but by providence. Israel is the only country in the world that bears the same name, speaks the same language, practices the same faith, and inhabits the same piece of property as it did 3,000 years ago. And while a majority of the world hates Israel, and yes, while there's coming a time when all the nations of the world, yes, even our own country, as we studied in the Revelation, will go against Israel, God's not done with Israel. God used the Jew to bring about the first coming, and he will use the Jew to bring about the second coming. But this idea of a double portion is not to ask for twice as much a display as Elijah displayed, but to ask to be the firstborn successor of the ministry. Now, understand, he had already been promised in 1 Kings 19.19. We studied it. The mantle fell on him. But he knew it was impossible for him to be the kind of man that Elijah the prophet was unless God gave him a double portion. It's like saying, he's twice the guy I am. God, give me a double portion that I might carry out the life and ministry as the spiritual firstborn of this prophet. This is not an ambitious man. This is a humble saint. He says, God, I want to speak And I want to walk 
And I want to preach in a way that is worthy of my master, Elijah. Look at the response. Elijah said, verse 10, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. So he places the responsibility for this request to be answered, not in his hands, but the Lord's hands. Elijah knows from years spent with Elisha that he has a tenacity to follow him and to honor him and that he's going to stick with him throughout the day. He clearly knows they cannot be separated. So he says, if you see me depart, then you'll know that God has given you the desire of your heart. And so notice verse 11. God has to open his eyes and see, much like we studied a few weeks ago, Elisha's attendant in 2 Kings saw the chariots of fire. He has to see that. Look at verse 11. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Now, a few verses later, we're told the other prophets are standing by. And they want to search for Elijah's body. And the reason is, is because while they see the whirlwind, or you could translate the Hebrew, the windstorm, I picture it like a funnel of wind sucking them up off the ground. While they see that visual, they do not see the visual of the chariots of fire and the horses of fire. So look at verses 14 through 18, or 16 through 18 for a moment. They said to him, behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men, Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken them up and cast them on some mountain or into some valley. Had they seen the chariots of fire, they know that would not have happened. And he said, you shall not send. Now, remember, the prophecy had been given to them as stated in verse 3 to the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel, in verse 5 to the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, and I'm assuming by extension the same was true of the sons of the prophets who were in the Jordan. They all knew what was going to happen this day, and what was revealed was that he would be taken away, but they didn't know in this manner Perhaps they said the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send. But when they urged him, he was ashamed. He said, send. They sent there 450 men and they searched three days but did not find him. They returned to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? And they were not in unbelief. They were simply trying to be discerning because they didn't see what Elisha saw. God allowed Elisha for a brief moment to see something, and his mentor said to him, if you see this, you know God has given you your request. Again, verse 11, as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Now, please notice, he's taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, not in the chariot of the horses of fire. Verse 11 says they were separated, the two. The Hebrew text already said they came between the two of them. So the Bible does not teach that Elijah was carried up, that he got into a chariot of fire, or that he rode horses of fire. Know that the horses and the chariot separated the two, that he was carried up in a whirlwind. Here is a picture of Elijah's departure as it's often rendered in artwork. It's inaccurate. 
because he's not taken into a chariot. He's taken up in a whirlwind. The two separates him. Now, you may, and that's why, by the way, it's important that you get your theology from the Bible and not from artwork. Now, you may be asking yourself, was his rapture like the rapture that we're going to have? And the definitive, absolute answer is, no, it was not. And we will see why next time. Now, look at verse 12. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. This was the fulfillment of a conditional promise that God made through Elijah. Look, if you see me depart, then you know that God has given you your request. And so it's like he's telling him, my father, my father, he wants him to know, I saw it, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. And so God is going to give him a double portion. The text says he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He's not happy. He's heartbroken because his friend is gone. And as an act of mourning, he tore his pieces and his clothing in two. Verse 13. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. From then on, Elisha would take the role of Elijah, took up the mantle, which again, a symbol of authority and power. He had to pick it up. God just didn't drop it in his lap. He had to pick it up. He had to put it on. He had to do what God asked him to do. He took the mantle, verse 14, of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He knew that the power was not in mantles and fiery chariots and fiery and horses, but in the Lord God of Elijah. And he's really giving God glory in doing that. And when he had struck the waters... They were divided here and there, and Elijah crossed over. Now, for the third time in human history, the waters of the Jordan are divided. Clear, definitive evidence to the schools of these prophets that Elisha is the new man. Verse 15, he crosses back over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him, saw him. They said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha, and they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. In other words, he is the appointed heir. He received the double portion. He is the firstborn heir of Elisha. He is now God's ordained mouthpiece. Now, how are we going to apply this? Let me make three applications as we close quickly. Number one, first, we should walk by faith until the end. No matter how long you've walked with God, no matter what you've seen God do through your life and for you, there will never come a day when you cannot stop trusting him. Just because the years of walking with God have brought you closer to heaven does not mean that you stop believing him, where you start coasting. God does not allow us ever to stop trusting him, to walk with him. And until you stand in his presence where you have been made into his image, you are to walk by faith because the Bible says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. What are you trusting God for today that only God can do? Maybe it's to change some rotten disposition. Maybe it's to change a bad habit. 
Maybe it's an air of rebellion that God wants to change. Maybe there's someone that he wants you to share the gospel with. Maybe there's some place of service that you need to take up. You're to walk by faith. Nothing less will please him because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 14, and without faith, it is sin. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So if we're not walking by faith, we're walking in sin. Second, we should work for the Lord until the end. We should work for the Lord until the end. He's a model for believers to imitate when it comes to being taken by death or by rapture. Elijah doesn't spend the last day of his life on earth sitting around doing nothing. He takes them to three critical, historical, spiritual places of significance, to these three yeshivas where there are schools of prophets, where he wants to speak, no doubt, to these men and remind his own mentor of the significance of each place and as it would relate to his life. He doesn't even say, hey, man, this is our last day on earth. Let's just sit and talk and where they had moaned and groaned together. No, he works until the very instance that God takes them. It's an example for all of us to follow. Third and finally, we should disciple the next generation of believers until the end. As we near the end of our own life, there's always another generation that comes behind us, and we are to teach them about being saved, about God's victory, about living by faith, about loving God's word and the church and reaching the lost. What kind of legacy are we leaving behind when we leave this earth? And I'm here to tell you this morning that because some people were faithful, you and I are here. We're here because of the faithfulness of the saints that went on before us and gave us the gospel. And our responsibility is to be faithful to the end. As a pastor, I am to disciple people. How am I to do that? God says in his word through the teaching ministry of a pulpit. The word disciple, mathetes, means a learner. And I am to open the scriptures where there's something that people can learn and be changed by. As a father, I'm to disciple my own children. And they, in turn, are to be encouraged to disciple their, their children. As an older man, we're commanded to teach the younger men and boys how they are to conduct themselves. We are to teach them how to love their wives. We are to teach them how to treat their children. We're to teach them how to work hard. We're to teach them how to pray, to serve, to give, how to be faithful to the words that they make and the promises that they give. Your influence is not only here in these walls, but beyond these walls. And the same is true. Titus 2 teaches of older women, teaching the younger women. They need to be taught how to act, how to dress, how to treat their husbands, how to love their children. We have older women who just want to sit around with older women and talk about the Bible, and they've missed it by a million light years. They're to be building into the next generation. And some of you godly ladies are here because someone discipled you when we were a new young family with... Our firstborn baby, there was a lady by the name of Diana Pledger that came into my wife's life, an older woman who mentored her and showed her the ropes of motherhood and had a profound impact on her and the women in turn that she's influenced. 
And one of these days, we're going to stand before the Lord, and he's not going to say, well done, thy good and talented service servant. He's not going to say, well done, thy good and prestigious servant. He's not going to say, well done, thy good and popular servant. Hopefully, he will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Now, if you've never been saved, you can't apply any of these three applications. You cannot walk by faith until the end, until you take the first step of faith that is not trusting for God for something today, but something he did 2,000 years ago when he died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. That will initiate the walk of faith. If you've never been saved, you cannot do work for the Lord until the end because you have nothing to offer the Lord until the Spirit of God does it through you, and that can't happen until you're converted. And if you've never been saved, you can't really disciple in the truth since the next generation, because you cannot take them where you yourself have not been. But you can be saved today if you want to be. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had two brothers sitting in this service, and I did their funerals on Tuesday. Who would have thought One of these days, God's going to take you. He's going to take me either by death or by rapture. And we need to be faithful until the end. Father, I thank you this morning for this great man of God, the lessons that we can learn from his life. Thank you, Spirit of God, for inspiring these texts of Scripture for us to study, to learn what you would have us to learn. I pray today, Father, for someone listening to me who's really not sure of their destiny. They don't know if this week were their funeral, that heaven is their home. And they don't know because they don't understand that they cannot save themselves. Reveal to them that their sin is an affront to you, that it deserves death, and nothing short of death in an eternal place will please you. But thank you for the Lord Jesus who took our death in our stead that he as an eternal person in a finite period of time accomplished for us what would take us an eternity to pull off, that you raised him from the dead such that you can say to anyone who will call upon his name in faith to be forgiven and changed, that you will instantly give them the gift of eternal life. Father, help someone today to say, Lord Jesus, save me, and like Jacob of old, who is not ashamed to publicly confess that. I pray for the rest who have already met you that we would take a hard look at our lives today to take inventory of how we are spending them and investing them. We may have balled it up to this point, but thank you, today is the first day of the rest of our life. From this day forward, we cannot just entertain ourselves to death, but we can invest our lives in things that truly, truly matter. Help us not to be blind to what is taking place in our day. The very things that you wrote and prophesied of. Help us to be alert, knowing that he's coming. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's study, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877 877- and requesting program ELI9. 
Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you can help support this teaching ministry, please call 877-787-7478 or click the Give button on the Search the Scriptures app or at our website, searchthescriptures.org. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll present our final message in our series on the prophet Elijah. Join us then as we search the scriptures.